Welcome to the weekend edition of The Daily Writer. Each weekday, we bring you a short lesson that helps you live out the four practices of a great writer. Creativity, consistency, courage, and connection. Here on The Weekend Edition, we take a deeper dive into those topics through conversations with writers and teaching that helps us apply what we're learning. For more, you can visit us at dailywriterlife.com. There are many keys to your success as a writer and an author. Writing a great book is an important part of it, but there are other important things as well. And one of those components is book marketing, which can seem like an intimidating and mysterious part of your business as a writer. And while there can definitely be a lot of moving parts to book marketing, it's important not to lose sight of the bigger picture, which is, of course, serving and connecting with your readers. And on today's episode, I want to share a recent call from our Daily Writer community that deals directly with this issue. One of our members in The Daily Writer is Vincent Puglisi, who is the author of the fantastic book Freelance to Freedom. Vincent is also the creator and leader of the amazing Total Life Freedom Community, a membership group that has had a radical impact on my mindset and success the last couple of years. And I can tell you unequivocally that I would not have been able to build a business and leave my day job without the encouragement of this community, particularly the encouragement and inspiration of Vincent. Now, one of the reasons that Vincent is so successful as an entrepreneur and a coach is that he looks at things differently. He approaches life and business with a generous mindset. And on this call, he shares how he approaches book marketing through the lens of generosity. Not only does this take the pressure off of marketing your book in a sleazy way and pressuring people all around you and constantly asking for things, it's also just a way more fun approach to book marketing and business in general. So this is a community call which means that you'll hear other people speaking in addition to myself and Vincent. And in the show notes for this episode, you'll find Vincent's links in addition to a link for an episode he did on his Total Life Freedom podcast. And that episode is titled Becoming a Non-Best-Selling Author. And I love that title, by the way. I really want to encourage you to give that episode a listen. It's only a few minutes long. And by the way, if you only listen to one podcast besides The Daily Writer, of course, I want to encourage you to listen to the Total Life Freedom podcast. It's a daily show, just like the Daily Writer is, and it is really, really good. I listen to it constantly, and it is a really, really wonderful podcast. And that episode in particular, Becoming a Non-Bestselling Author, gives you a critical perspective on book marketing for any author, no matter what type of writing or content creation that you do. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Here's my conversation and our community call from the Daily Writer with my friend, Vincent Puglisi. Hey friends, welcome to the um, first call of uh, September 2021. This is going to be a really, really fun call. Uh, today we're going to talk about generosity in book marketing, which is a topic that I've never heard anybody talk about here, at least in this group, in terms of a different way to approach book marketing. So I've got my good friend, Vincent Buglisi here, who is a part of our community, of course, and he's got some interesting ideas and some really fun stories about how to approach book marketing in a different way. So everybody, welcome, Vincent. Hello, everybody. <laughs> how do you have the best? That was a very quiet welcome. How do you have the <laughs> best queen? queen? muted. <laughs> a silent welcome. So uh, Vince, I'm going to let you tell everybody kind of what you do. Um, and then if we can just go into this topic of book marketing, I think that would be really fun. So give us kind of a quick rundown of why this topic is important to you and and really what you do in general. It's, it's important to me because I kind of got tired of seeing, well, I published my first book, 2018, early 2018, called Freelance to Freedom. And 
watching, and I had so many friends who had published books before that. I'd been in that world for you know a good seven, eight years, even before that in the photography world. I was a photographer for 20 something years before a transition this way. And I just got so tired of the same book marketing tactics or strategies. And it was just, you just followed whatever the latest trend was, or even just the old school trend of, hey, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna promote it this way. And then even like, even just the whole like, hey, my book's coming out in two weeks. Will you join my book launch team? Now that I'm gonna, I'm gonna bug you for two weeks to buy it and to share it and to review it. I'm gonna keep getting back to you in two weeks. And then all, all of a sudden there's like eight reviews and they're annoyed at everybody because people didn't do what they asked them to do. And then they kind of fade away a month later when the book kind of doesn't do anything so often. And then people would be like, oh, there's no, there's nothing in this world. Like they, they had this very just self-involved and just very heavily self-promotional towards what they wanted from their book. And I would imagine the reason why we write books is to help other people. I know we, you know, we, we have things that we want to get out of it, right? Whether we're going to spread a message or we want to build a business or make whatever it is. But I just always approach, when I would always see it, as much as I wanted to support, I was never a fan of book marketing. So when, when my book came out, it was like, what do I do differently? Because I don't want to do the same old thing. I don't, and I wasn't really too concerned with marketing. I really wanted that book to stand on its own. I really wanted to get the message out. I knew it was going to be a long-term project. And when the book came out or when it was coming close to being come out, I took a way different approach. It was like, we're going to do a thank you tour instead of a book signing tour. Because, you know, David from Morgan James said, you, know, you can go to the different bookstores and you could travel and do, and they could set it up. And I was, I didn't want to do that. So the whole thing is freedom. Our business is called Total Life Freedom. And we set up a thing where I talked to Elizabeth and the kids. I said, instead of doing it self-promotional towards the book, why don't we go on a trip together, which is what we're about, family, togetherness, you know, generosity. And let's go on a book tour and instead we'll call it a thank you tour. And we will go on the road for a couple months and we will see the country as a family, but we will stop and see as many of the people that helped us with the book as mm. possible. And we'll give the book to them in person, which I'd never seen anybody do before. So that's what we did. We, we lined it up and, and it, it was just this amazing experience to be able to bring our kids along and stop by places like see Dave Ramsey and hand him the book and have him talk to our kids and be like, this is a big deal. And explain, I mean, he literally took the book and he was like, this is a big deal. He was with my son. And he goes, this is how it all started for me. Writing a book, that first book, this was, and to have my kids leave there you know, not sure what was going on. Then look at us like, whoa, that was pretty in incredible and pretty intense because they've listened to him on the radio for years. And then Dan Miller and Pat Flynn and John Lee Dumas and Seth Godin and all these other people that had bought the book or supported, like, supported it beforehand. I, I sent the book out to a lot of people PDF version to hmm. get feedback and get reviews. So I was doing that for nine months before the book came out. A lot of people say, oh, a month or two before that. I did that for months and months beforehand. There were all these people to thank because the book launched with like a hundred and something reviews when it didn't have any type of publicity. So the idea of just the thank you tour was just such a catalyst to getting the book off the ground. And so many different people I met along the way continued to promote it, continue to talk about it. That led to over a hundred podcast interviews from the people that I would meet along the way. And it just continued rolling to where this business that some of you were part of called Total Life Freedom was, was launched from that. And now has spawned off into multiple areas and multiple income streams. Um, and it all came from like not seeing what was in it for me to see it. I just want to thank the people that have helped me along the way. So that's where it came from. 
Okay, there's a lot of stuff to dive into with this. I've and I've heard snippets of this before, but I'm constantly amazed at number one, how you approach this differently, and number two, the really cool results that you got from this. So where I'd love to start with this, if we can, is let's contrast this with the typical way that we are taught by quote unquote experts to market a book. So you're you're basically saying, Vincent, the way that you approached this was giving and thanking and being generous as opposed to the way that we normally experience book marketing. So would you say that normally with book marketing, it is all about self-promotion, taking, wanting people to do things for you, et cetera. And am I correct kind of in that approach that, and all of you feel free to respond to this. Is that the way that we normally think of book marketing is what can you do for me to help me get my book out there? Are you asking me or, or to the group? I'm asking you and then the whole group. Uh, I'm curious about everybody's response. Personally, personally, I don't want to be too harsh about it because we, we do need to market our stuff. We do need to get the word out on our stuff. I just think the pendulum swings way too far Okay. with a book launch. And, and we have to do these things, but I went too far the other way. I was like, I don't want to do anything. Literally, quite literally, I did not even post about my book except for when Seth Godin endorsed it. Except when he when he said that he would endorse. It's the only time I, I posted about my book. And we went on this trip and we we're in Cincinnati the first night and l- quite literally we're going out to dinner the first night to celebrate. And I was like, holy crap, I haven't even posted about the book anywhere on social media. It was launch day. And I, and I went to, and this was really kind of funny. It turned out well. I posted, I said, hey, I completely forgot. Today's launch day of my book. It's like 5.30 <laughs> at night. I said, today's launch day of my book. Um, if you want to buy it, here's the link. If not, and I remember typing this in the hotel as we were leaving to go to the German restaurant. I said, if you could buy it today, if not, it'll be available for the rest of your life. And I got so many people that just loved that, that they started sharing and sharing. And it just kind of like, it got a life of itself. It wasn't huge, but it was huge for like a post like that. And I think people just appreciate the fact that I wasn't jamming it down their throat and I was there for okay. the long haul with it. So, but I don't want... I don't want to also say don't do marketing because you have to, but it's just, I just, in the mode that I was in at that point, I wanted to do it that way. So is there something that you would have done differently if you can go back in time and, and redo how you did that? Like, would you do more traditional marketing things in addition to all the things that you did do? Not then. Now I've learned a lot and not then I wouldn't, cause that's where I was at. And, and I, and I truly subscribe to the t-shirt that I have, which is bad choices make great stories. And there's a lot of bad choices like that. that I've made in there, but it's a great story that you get to tell years later. There's no harm to me because it's a, everything's a long-term game. Okay, let me ask. Let me ask this to everybody: What are some typical elements of book marketing that that you don't like and that annoy you and irritate you? And here we're just kind of going to lay it on the table, and I'm going to start. So uh, obviously, I'm not going to name who this person is, and I don't think any of you know this person. Uh, it's a friend of mine from way back. They just wrote a book and uh, it's on a very, very niche topic. And they messaged me on LinkedIn after two or three years. I had sent them a message years ago and they were just like, oh, I'm just not getting my messages, which was crazy. Anyway, they, they're like, hey, I just had this book coming out. I would really appreciate it if you would be able to buy the ebook and then leave a review today. You know, like here, get the book, read it today and then leave a review today even though I was totally not in their target market. And they basically just wanted to get something out of me. Um, I still went ahead and did it just because that's, I, I tend to be a loyal person and I want to support authors, even if I don't always like the way that they do their marketing. But secretly that kind of irritated me. 
Do any of you see things like that where people are launching books or they're marketing their books? They're doing things that you feel like are just kind of wanting to take from you without first giving to you or really building a relationship. Now, obviously, we're probably not going to mention any names, at least I hope not. But I would love to hear any examples that that any of you might have or your thoughts on that. I was. Oh, go ahead, Jen. <laughs> Let's have oh, Jennifer yeah. go first, then we'll have Lynn. Okay. Um, I have seen a lot of this is a brand new connection. I just sent you a Facebook friend request or I just sent you a LinkedIn message or whatever. And we've made this connection. And the very first thing is, hey, buy my stuff. So that's very common and it's very off putting. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I was going to say the same thing, but with email, like I get people let will send me emails and they're like, oh, can we cross post this blog or blah, blah, blah. And then you look at the blog and it's like, they're trying to sell something and they want to post it on your website and like, yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. Or it has to be on your podcast. So this, this same person, actually, they're like, Hey, do you have a slot on your podcast? I come on talking about my book. And I was like, okay, let me, let me think about it. Let me think about it. I do actually think it'll be a good interview, but, but it kind of annoyed me that they were asking all these things of me with that first, you know, offering to help or, or does it serve your audience? Like that's, that's the question. Like if it does, then great. Yes. If not, then go away. In, in this yeah. case, I and think the that is, there is some value, but we'll see. And the other thing is too, is like, if, if you're coming on my podcast, I'm taking my time and money to produce my podcast. Like I don't do like, if, if it's me asking someone to be on my podcast, then I don't charge them. But if it's somebody I don't know coming on, I tell them mm-hmm. to either have to do a cross promote where I come on their podcast and they promote me as well, or they pay money. Like a, a, I think it's like a $49 fee because like, I'm not going to promote mm-hmm. you for free. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I like that. I've heard of people doing that before where you basically charge people to come on your show. So that, but it's only, it's only people who, um, just like, I don't know. And out of the blue, they come on and say, Hey, I want to be on your podcast to promote my book. But if it's somebody I invite, I don't charge them. Yeah. I like that. So Vincent, let's go back to this idea of generosity. Let's maybe pull out the camera a little bit. Walk us through your overall concept of generosity. I know you, you've got a, some things you're working on related to generosity and you talk about this a lot on your podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the Total Life Freedom Group and elsewhere. What is kind of the overall idea of generosity in terms of trying to build a business? And how do you how do you think about that? And why is it so important? I think it's so important. I mean, I'm, I can talk about it because I'm a selfish person, right? I can talk about <laughs> okay. it because I'm like, and, and, it's, and initially it's, it's where it always goes to, you know, that's the way that I, I know what it's like to just go after what you want and to have goals and to set those goals. And, you know, I, I was a, you know, newspaper photographer in New York. I'm like an Italian guy that's just, everybody's driven and everybody's just going after it. And you, you can't get left, be, you can't survive being kind of passive and feeble in that environment. You have to get the shot. You have to get to these, you, you, you always have to win. You have to, otherwise you can't survive. And that's the way that I was raised in, in the business world, in the, in the um, not even business world, in the career world. That's how it all started. And there's a lot of like, I got to keep going. And what I realized with them was nobody ever liked that person. There was kind of like, oh, they get stuff done, but nobody actually really truly likes them. Nobody was raving about those people. Nobody was raving about us if we got a great picture. But then I'd meet people that were just helpful and they weren't, you know, bulls in a china shop and they were looking out for other people and they were connecting other people and they were thoughtful and they were doing all the things I wasn't doing, right? I was like, I'm going to win. And they were doing 
And I started to kind of realize, and it kind of hit me later on when I achieved a level of success that I was going after, people would praise me for the accomplishments that I had. But Mm. very few people were praising me for the person that I was. And they were praising these other people for the people they were. And nobody really was talking about their accomplishments, even though they were very well accomplished. And that made me feel kind of off. Like, who am I? Am I, am I just about results or am I a good person? What are people saying about me otherwise? Mm-hmm. And that was really hard. It wasn't hard to deal with when I was struggling because I needed to make it. But when things got a lot better and you look back on yourself and you kind of go, was it just about what I wanted? Or was it about being a contributor, being a connector, being generous? So I had to really study this because that's the person that I really wanted to become. So I don't come from, like we, a lot of us know Ken Hoops. Ken Hoops is just a naturally generous person. If you don't know him, he's just like, he's a martial arts instructor. He owns his own place. And he's just always thinking, how can I help other people? It's just, I talked to him about it. He was just raised that way and was wired that way. And I was envious that that's not who I was or who I'm, you know, who I was becoming at all. It was, it was about results. So when this whole idea of generosity came out, which is really uncomfortable because when you, when you, when you know, you're not it, it's, it bugs you when you know that you're not that type of person. So I just made it a, a, a pact to try to become more of that type of person. It's the perfect book for me to write because I'll never be where I want to be. It's, it's the message that I've learned from so many other people, but I want to become this. And there's nothing better. Dave Ramsey talks about this. He needs to teach his stuff every day because he's a spender and he needs to get his money. So he knows hmm. that by teaching this stuff, he gets better at it and he helps other people. It's the same thing here with me. I'm not the hero in this story at all. I'm learning from the people that I'm studying and how I'm growing. So that idea into a book, and then even in terms of how I want to live my life and how I want to help others, you know, we have the whole hour of giving. I wake up and it's not always first thing in the morning, but I spend at least an hour where it's just trying to leave reviews for people that I've read their books, I've listened to their podcasts, connecting other people together, just doing all those things that other people have done for me that was really impactful. And I, and I try to anchor my day with that to where that's the person that I keep becoming. So when it comes to book marketing, when you see all this stuff and you see, like you said, and you and I have had conversations about people that have done this and it's just all about them. I just don't think it's, it's the way that's going to get so many people to even be excited about what you're doing. I think when you are, Seth Godin's a perfect example of it. He's, he's constantly leading with generosity and it's a great example of you can have massive success when you really have other people's interests at top of mind as I talk about in this book that I'm writing, generous goals over selfish goals. We all have selfish goals. We all have things we want to achieve, but they don't come first. And Bob Berg has a great line, which is like, asking how to make more money is not a bad question. It's just a bad first question. And a lot of people leave with that as a first question. So how do we balance this impulse of generosity with also building a financially successful business? Okay, we're all writers. We all have different things going on. We're, we're all doing different business things. Ultimately, we all want to have a financially successful thing that we're doing. At least I think most of us here have, have that goal. Uh, most people have that goal. So how, how do we balance these things? Because if I hear what you're saying correctly, generosity doesn't mean you're doing everything for free or you're giving everything away or you're letting people take advantage of you. So how do we, how do, we do both of those things at the same time? Yeah, I mean, and I'm, I'm, I love a discussion on this for any questions or any thoughts on this. I think boundaries are a key part of it. I think, I think a lot of people, when they hear generosity, especially maybe the selfish type, think I can't do that because I can't be taken advantage of. 
Hmm. A lot of people are worried about being taken advantage of, so they don't. But when you have boundaries, and I just recorded a podcast today about this. I'm not sure when it's publishing, but my friend Dane Sanders, and we'll bring back, go back to Seth Godin. Dane, Seth Godin said he would, he would, my friend Dane had a conference and Seth was going to be the surprise speaker at this conference. Like it was going to be through video, but he didn't market it at all. But Seth was doing it for free. He was doing it as a favor to Dane. They become friends. Well, they weren't selling enough tickets for this conference. So Dane's thinking, well, if people knew Seth was coming, we'd sell more tickets. So he went to Seth and he said, hey, um, can I put your name on the billboard? Can I put it on the on the on the type on the text of it because it would it would really help. And he goes, absolutely. Send me, tell me where to send the twenty thousand dollar check. And Dane was like, oh, oh, well, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. We'll keep doing what we're doing because Seth had this. I'm being generous. I'm helping you out. When you're using it and using his name to sell tickets, that was the boundary he had mm. in terms of I'm going to charge you for this. Now a lot of people would get walked over in that, or they would say, okay, yeah, no problem. I'll do it. I thought that was very impressive. Where you know, underneath, he's very, very helpful, very quiet. But if you're going to pre- press the boundaries in terms of the business side of it, he has his rules to it. That's how you can maintain financial viability and success while still consistently thinking about others and being helpful and generous. How do we know what, what the boundaries are with book marketing specifically? Okay, book, a book is a, a small cost thing. It doesn't cost us a lot to produce books, especially if it's an ebook, it costs us virtually nothing as far yeah. as sending somebody a copy or a link. If it's a print book, it's going to cost maybe two or three bucks or something if we're self-publishing through Amazon or something. So are there some specific boundaries that we should have in mind related to, I won't give out this number of copies for free, or I I won't do this or that. What are the things that we should not, are are there some boundaries that we should not let be violated as writers? I I, I think it comes down to what your goals are with it, like what you're doing with it, because is your goal the book, and I, I'd be curious for everybody here. That's right. Is your goal to sell books? Is your goal mm. bigger? Good question. Than books. My goal is bigger than books. It's bigger than book sales. So you know, you know, I was given advice. You know, that if you if the book gets into ten thousand people's hands and it's good, it's going to spread from there. So how do you? You know, I think being generous is also getting what you want as well. Because if you're if the point is to spread the message of the book. And you can get the book out to more people. Maybe you're not going to do a physical copy. Maybe it's an e-copy. I'm not sure how you'd want to do it. And maybe it's not giving it away. But there's so many different ways to But what is your goal? If you, if you know that if 100,000 people read this book and you have these other things that you have that, that you can sell, right, down the road that are going to be helpful to them, how is that book a lead magnet? To me, it's the ultimate business card. It really is. It's, I'm not concerned about book sales of it. Down the road, there's all these other options that people can Are they going to listen to your podcast and fall in love with what you talk about and then become a raving fan that down mm-hmm. the road, when you have a live event, they want to go to it, right? It's, to me, it's so much deeper than if you, I think just focusing on the books is, is limiting. Yeah. I want to know what, how it's going to play out for you and options that you have in the future. And then it gets really exciting with the books. And I have a comment too, related on his question before about, you know, it's not always about giving the book away. I think generosity starts way before the book is even published. Like, how am I build, how am I supporting other people who could potentially benefit from this? You know, maybe there is a selfish undertone to it, but it happens six months, a year before you're even writing the book of how am I helping other people so that when the opportunity presents itself to help me, they just are drawn to the idea because they know who I am as a person as well. So I think it's, it's much, it starts way earlier than the book. Well, it, exactly. And to Kent's point about the guy that reached out to him and, and or girl, whoever it was that reached out and said, hey, can you read and review this book today? 
right? That's the mistake. That That's where it all started, Ken. I, I would get all these requests, but hey, my book's being published October 3rd. Um, hey, you can download it now. It's September 26th. I need you to read it within the next week and leave a review. And I'd be like, you know, I'm going on vacation. My kids are starting school. I got to read this book and leave. It's all on their, on their watch. Right. 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 And, and it's, and it's asking a lot, I think to do that. So a book's a, you know, you want to read it. So Heidi, to what I did was I took, I wanted to, to learn from people as well along the way. So I, for eight, 12, eight, 10 months, I sent out e-versions of the book, even while I was writing it. A lot of people were afraid of doing this. The book wasn't even complete and I'd send it for feedback. And what happened was even within that people started sharing and talking about it before the book was even out. So months before and people would be like when's the book coming out love the book i would get feedback on my book like one of the stories that was in it that was in the very beginning that was impactful i had buried deep in the second part of the book and a guy that had read it eight months before and said you know that story about your dad you know when you were 20 years old that if that story at the beginning would really have a lot of impact so heidi you would you'd appreciate this you know so i did it I, i took the advice you know and and changed it and I gave it to these guys that started this podcast called Choose FI. It was a couple months ago. Their, their podcast just started taking off. I met them at a conference. Jonathan, one of the co-hosts, like, I want to read the book. Brad had already read it. And he he was flying to South Africa with his wife. And he, he messaged me and he goes, I'm reading your book. I just got to the story about your dad. I was hooked from that moment on. I love this book. I want to have you on the podcast. It was the number one podcast that I was a guest on during the thing. That, that's, I still get people signing up for things today wow. from that podcast. And it all came because somebody that I had sent it to for free eight months earlier made a suggestion of how it could be better. And it's still paying dividends today. That's great. And that's been what, three years ago? Two, no, that years? was, well, I said the book published June, January of 2018. So that was actually okay. sometime in 2017 when that happened. Wow. That is crazy. Four years. And which, which is one of the cool things about podcasts is that they, you know, people listen to episodes years later. Yeah. I mean, because they're, they're just there and available. There's not a week that doesn't go by that I don't get one, maybe two weeks where I don't get a message from somebody that just found me from the podcast I did with them in January of 2018. Wow. That's crazy. That's absolutely yeah. crazy. Yeah. So I think just that whole idea of like, oh, so many people like, I'm keeping my book close to my best. Nobody can see it until it's perfect. I didn't care. Like literally when, when Brad read the book, there was no, there was no second half to the book yet. Like there was no ending to it yet but I wanted to get feedback and I wanted at least to get, Hey, how, what did you feel about this? And people just appreciated being included in the process. They almost felt like they had some, I never thought about it like this had, they had some ownership in the success because they gave feedback while it was still in the beginning stages of it. Let me circle back to this point about holding stuff close, close to your chest. Okay. So I have a friend, actually it's a very sporadic coaching client. Uh, every three or four months, he does a quick call with me. And he's spent like three years working on this massive book on, on a specific topic. He is convinced that he has a world-changing framework for, for his topic. I've, I've looked at his stuff. It's very solid. I don't think it's world-changing. It's really nothing radically new about it, but he's kind of consolidated some things. And I think it's very, very solid. But I've encouraged him many, many times to share this material, start building an email list, start building an audience, be generous, connect with people all those kinds of things, but he is really, really terrified of somebody taking his material mm-hmm. and stealing it. And I know that is, even though it's, it's completely crazy. And I, I know some industries that's probably a legit concern, I guess, 
But what would you say to people who are afraid to let their intellectual property out there and who have that, they're really scared. Somebody's going to take this. Somebody's going to, they're going to take my incomplete PDF and they're going to share it. And it's, I'm going to lose all my book sales and mm-hmm. you know those kinds of things. How do you address that kind of fear in people? I have a joke about this because people can't even finish their own ideas. <laughs> they can't even finish their so own true. stuff. But they're going to really go and take my idea with my stories and they're going to go make a success of that when they can't even finish the one thing we've been bugging them to do for two years. Yeah, I don't worry too much about that. I totally I really agree. Don't. Yeah. And the more real you make it and the more personal it can be, are they really going to steal the stories? What really respond? What do people respond to? They respond to stories. They're not, you know, Heidi, they're not stealing your ski lift story, right? They're not taking that story. And as, as the more you bring yourself into it, that's, that's what attaches to people because everybody can take theories and concepts and five steps to blah, blah, blah. And everybody kind of repurposes. It's the stories that drive people, the story about Jonathan and Brad, that that's something that people might remember as opposed to if I gave you like, here's seven steps to do something. So Mm. nobody can ever take that away from you. I don't ever worry about, you know, know, doing a daily podcast. I get an idea. It comes out there. I'm giving away so many ideas that somebody can go run and take and steal and and maybe they have good for them if they do your job is to make work that is so good that people steal it and you keep coming up with new stuff i don't yeah, i don't I love concern that. myself with that at all so part of this thing is really it's almost the fear of uh oh i can't sorry i can't think of the term i'm looking for it's this idea that that our ideas are limited that there's only so much so many good ideas to go around it's yep. kind of this oh it's it's like a scarcity mindset of oh if i if i write this one book and and i put all my stuff in one book those are the only good ideas that i'll ever have which yep. is not true because you have good ideas you put about into the world and then you get more good ideas if you're growing that's what should happen right andy andrews said this which was great he wrote the traveler's gift if anybody's a fan of andy andrews he wrote the traveler's gift he said he learned more about that book after he wrote it than any other time wow you you think you write a book and it's done he goes out and he teaches about it afterwards and then he hears a story and then he says oh this would have fit here so then he writes more books related to it yeah he's not saying here here's my secret sauce and nobody could ever know how it is he's putting it out there and then growing that's how you continue to get new stuff as opposed to saying here's my copyrighted material and don't touch this this is, this is what i'm going to work on for the rest of my life to me if i did that i'd never grow because i'd always keep doing these same seven steps for the rest of my life and not expanding out from it Depends on how you want to view it. That's how I want to view it. That is, this is so fascinating. So it's almost the idea of so many of us, we tend to think that the book is the secret sauce that makes the difference when it's really not. The book hopefully has good content, but the secret sauce is really in the implementation of the ideas. It's the coaching, it's the speaking, it's the, the mastermind groups, it's connections and networking and all the other stuff that that comes alongside of it. It's not necessarily just the book itself. I don't think so. I think that's, I think that's a, a, a it could be the middle point of where everything comes yeah. off of, but yeah. it's not, I, I think when people think, Oh, I need to sell this book. Now you're just constantly pushing book sales where it's like, well, if I can take this content and I could put it into a podcast or if I can go on podcasts and talk about it and I can explain why this concept is important, people are going to want to know more about you. They're going to want to more, know more about what you do. And if you keep doing that, they, my experience, they eventually come to you. They eventually reach out to you. Hey, how can, how can I be a part of this? And I think it's the best way to sell because we do have to sell. But if you're so generous in terms of your stories, people are like, oh, thank you so much for your time to be on my podcast. 
anytime. I do it. Hmm. I do it every day of the week. I can't imagine a better way to sell and to market than by being your true authentic self in a conversation where whatever, I don't like, oh, what's your agenda? What are the questions? I never give anybody any questions when I'm on a podcast. Whatever you want to talk about will go in the direction it goes. And that leads to more stories because then people are like, I didn't realize we were going to talk about this. That's another thing that people attach to. And then you have more content you can pull from that. Hmm. And you can keep going with that. It's just, it's, it's abundant. It really is the difference between abundance and, scar- and scarcity. That's hmm. abundance. As opposed to like, here are the seven questions and you need to stick in line with that. Like, to me, that's just boring. You know, it's just con- incredibly boring. So a couple of days ago, I got in the mail, this new book by Joanna Penn called The Relaxed Author. Some of you have read some of her stuff. She does a lot of stuff on self-publishing and, and book marketing and everything. And the book looks good. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's nothing in here that is necessarily completely revolutionary, but she's packaged her ideas in a really convenient way. And the subtitle of this is take the pressure off your art and enjoy the creative journey. And I, I love the concept of this okay. book. The interesting thing about her though, is it's exactly what Vince is talking about. I have learned so much from her podcast and her books over the years that it doesn't matter what she puts out. I'm going to buy it. Like I don't, mm-hmm. she could put out a, a copy of the telephone book and I'd probably buy it. Uh, not that anybody knows what telephone books are anymore. Remember those days? You know, the the huge telephone book. So I do want to get into some specific strategies of how do we actually do this on a tangible, practical level. But let's stop here. Who's got some questions or you have something you're hearing and you're like, let's dig into this a bit more. I want this to be really practical and useful for everybody. I have a question because I think marketing is such a big challenge for most authors. Vincent, what, how would you approach it? Like when it comes to emails, because I think emails are important, but yet I think so many people focus on them. Like I've only sent like one email out about my novel one and it's been out for like two months now, but I just haven't, I'm just like, I'd rather do it other ways. I'd rather do, you know, social media with some memes or sending private messages or whatever. How would you approach uh, email, Vincent? Because I think that, I think it's like, there's so much potential there, but who wants to be spammy, right? Gotcha. What stops you? What, what stops you from doing it? Because I'm the same way. I'm very similar to what you're talking about. And we both have things that stop us from doing it. What stops you from doing the email side of it? It's not confidence in like, not a lack of confidence in the book. I know it's great. I think it's that I know it's probably not the right audience because a lot of them signed up from nonfiction interaction. Like Hmm. my other two books are nonfiction or maybe it was from medium.com and maybe they're just wanting to learn about becoming a writer. And I'm kind of thinking in my brain, I'm like, it's probably not the right place. And also I will admit this. I can't stand at all when somebody's like, Hey, you haven't heard from me in a while, but I have a book now, buy it. And I'm like, I don't want to be that guy who does that. Have you ever gotten those emails where it's like nails on a chalkboard? It's like, I haven't gotten an email from you in like two years. And now it's like, here, buy (laughs) from me. You know, it's like that friend who calls you only when they're moving. That's that's what we're talking about, right? That's the same thing we're talking about here. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to do that. (laughs) So maybe I'm totally right on. (laughs) If, if I may offer, this is a good reason to segment your list. Mm-hmm. Yep. If you're doing fiction, you're, you know, if you have several different categories, you know, you need to interact with the people on your list and give them the option to, 
you know, receive different segments. Mm -hmm. I completely agree with that, John, and I suck at that. But at the same time, it's nice to be the same person and not try to think in like compartmentalization. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, oh, well, they only like this. What if you're assuming wrong? Well, I could be, but I think emails are big you can have them self-select, Jim. Like, do you want this? Do you want this? Do you want this? Do you want all of the above? What if you're depriving of them an opportunity where they want to get to know your novel and you're not even sharing it with them? Like yeah. I've had someone say that by me selecting not to share it with certain people, I'm not even giving them the opportunity to see who I am or what I'm working on. And that's a selfish goal. That's a great point. That's a great point. I'll be honest. I think part of it is I really just need to clean it up and just be willing to drop the, you know, 500, 600 subscribers that I just know are like, haven't opened anything in a while anyway. And they're just, you know, it's a dead weight in the back of my brain. I'm like, just drop it and move on. It's better to have a small engaged list than to have a like fake list. I don't want to be below a thousand, I guess, in my brain is part of it. I'm like, I don't want to dip, but it's, it's moving forward, not moving backwards. Right? Yeah. yeah. So is, is there also a way that if this is a nonfiction audience and you went to fiction, is there a way of telling a story about how your journey from nonfiction to fiction where you can, so you don't really have to be talking about the book, but you could be talking about your journey. Mm-hmm. because most nonfiction authors are probably not going to fiction. Why? I'd be curious as some of you follow what makes you now write a fiction book. Now, if you write that story about it now, yeah. you know, here's it, it makes bridge, sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Bridge, bridge, yeah. As opposed to going from what is this, what is he doing this fiction stuff for? He's yeah, been yeah, a nonfiction yeah. guy, but if you explain good it, point. Love it. And, and also though, and I, I know Jennifer's probably going to shake her head even more on this and Kent too. It's like consistency is the key as well. Not just mm-hmm. like being the, Oh, I haven't emailed in a month. I got to do it. If it, it's like, part of me wants to be authentic. Part of me yeah. wants to really truly add value. Mm-hmm. That's a high call <laughs> because so often it's like, you might not feel like doing it. Right. I mean, it comes out of discipline. You might not feel it. And I think that brings a, like, you can tell when somebody's just emailing to email versus they have something to say, I think. And, you know, feel free to disagree too. But I think it's like, I'd rather email when it's something important versus it's Thursday, check. It's Thursday, check. You you are such a creative entrepreneur. I just, Mm -hmm. I don't know you that well, but I just- You nailed it. Right? And creative entrepreneurs have a problem with this. And I am one of them where it's like, systems and structure it's like nails on the chalkboard for us and it's my biggest challenge because i'm like yeah i don't really feel like it and then the email doesn't go out and then it doesn't go out for three more weeks and then all of a sudden you're kind of like it's been a well, couple months now i'm going to send that email and i hadn't sent it so now it's six weeks john <laughs> Rulin did a really great thing i'm not sure if you ever saw this and mm-hmm. kent i know i think we've talked about this where he let his email list go dry and he didn't do anything and he sent this really authentic email which was hey listen i screwed up you, somewhere along the way, you signed up for something that I did. I'm not sure if I was on a webinar or as a podcast. Somewhere along the way, you signed up and I stopped delivering value to you. Somewhere I stopped. Completely my fault. If you want to unsubscribe, here's where you unsubscribe. And he went on to talk about it a little bit more. And each step along the way, he gave them the option to get out. You don't have to keep following me on this. But I can tell you this. I'm promising you I'm going to continue to deliver value. I'm not going to stop here. Um, if you want to unsubscribe, I get it. But if you want to stick with me, I'll keep bringing great stuff to you. 
he got such a great response to that because it was so honest and authentic. Now, if you, as a creative, you can talk about the creative side of how difficult it is to be structured with it. Mm -hmm. If that's you. I love that. How difficult it is to keep on. Like, so maybe I'm sporadically consistent with my email, which I consider myself, I'm not sporadically consistent with my podcast. That comes out every day. For some reason, I don't miss that. My email, I will miss some. Sporadically consistent. If you can accept that, yeah, you know, but but unless you can get yourself into a pattern where you go, it comes out this time and then structure yourself to where you're like, I'm writing in advance. So I have the stuff in place as opposed to yeah. waiting till it feels good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So you can batch when you're in the mood to write, write as many as you can batch them and schedule them. And that way, when you're in that dip where you just are not feeling it, it's okay because you already have great content scheduled to go out. This to me, this is such a good discussion because I think for creative types, it comes back to the question of what is it that prompts you to create your art? Is it you feel the emotion of creating something or is that you're on a schedule? It's two totally different kinds of things. So, and I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. You know, there, there are some musicians who put out stuff because they were feeling the need to put out an album and they had an idea or a concept or something. But then there are other creative types who are on a schedule. You know, there's some authors who they write a book every year. Um, you know, Stephen King puts out puts out probably a, a book every year at least, and I don't know if he feels that or if he constantly, if the well ever runs dry or whatever, but he still cranks it out. Yeah, I don't I don't know what if there's a right answer or not, but it it kind of brings up the idea of the the discipline of being on a schedule and then being on that schedule actually prompts creativity. It would be an interesting that would be a good book for somebody. It would be, and what, none of us have the time to write. And I think the momentum is a huge part for us. If we lose the momentum, we feel it. It's really hard to get it back. So if you, what are your prompts to get your momentum going? For Jim, I could tell you right now that if, if Jim, like if, if, if he asked me, I would say, you got it right now. The, the next email would be your whole, hey, I went from, well, first of all, it could be the, hey, sorry, I've been kind of ghosting you. Mm-hmm. Then it can go to, you know, you might know me from nonfiction writing, nonfiction books. I did an uncomfortable thing. I did something I really want to do. I wrote a fiction book and here's what, so that's a story about that. And then the third one is here's an excerpt from that book that, that just, just so you could see what it was like, you know, right there, three emails that you can, you could, now, if you said that, and Jim, I'm guilty of this with you. What I need is a, a list of the next four months of what the emails would be and they could play off of each other. Right. right. I, I would love the challenge of taking it on myself. Like, here's what it's going to be. It's not just going to be a sporadic email. It's going to play off of the one before in some ways. You can do that right there. Yeah. You know, Vic, uh, Vincent, one thing I've realized too is I am so authentic that I like to write about what is going on like right now. What am I learning? Like today, even this yep. conversation with y'all. And it's like, if I don't jump on it or if I'm like, well, I need time to process this it might be a week, you know what I'm saying? Where it's like, oh, uh, and I, I don't like email because it just, it's one of those things I've, I've fought it so much. I don't like it. I like sending a short video to people like, hey, checking in, that kind of thing. But then it's almost the wrong medium for that. If you're sending videos and emails, it's kind of counterintuitive. So I, I feel like it, it's though. really that work in progress. You know what I mean? Where it's like, hey, just keep playing. Just keep I experimenting. Remember, I think it was important what you said. I don't like email. I think that's important to be able to say. I remember Gary Vaynerchuk saying one time, if you're not on every medium, you're you're lost. And I don't believe that for a second. 
I don't believe that for one second. If you don't do email and you're not going to be consistent with it and you don't write it and you spent that time in these other areas, I think you're going to be just fine. I think email helps without a doubt if you have the list, but to beat yourself sure. up over it and spend so much time on it when you're not going to do it, when you could be doing the things you said, the personal messages and the videos. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I'd, I'd spend an hour doing that before I, because email I'm like, Oh yeah. Does anybody just, else feel that with email? No, but I feel that way with social media. Yeah. Like, I think well, there are certain things that we all avoid. I'd love sending out emails, but uh, with social media, somehow I perceive that as, I sometimes perceive that as an interruption. And, and so even though I know it's really valuable, I, I don't know why. It's really weird. Here, here's my the view. Of Kent. <laughs> I'd you much want- rather do social media and be spontaneous. And here's what I'm thinking right now. And I can just get it out there. I feel like emails, I have to like curate a nice, Story. Mm. It feels like more work. So for Jim yeah. and Heidi and, and MJ as well, emails a, a struggle. Yeah, I hate emails. <laughs> Thank you. I, I think <laughs> I, I see I see something we need to work on in our daily order group. I'm I'm curious about something for the three of you. How do you feel when you receive emails? Depends on who it's coming from. I want to subscribe. Sorry, MJ. <laughs> I just said it depends on who it's coming from. Like I love Kent's because I find them really valuable and others, I open them up. And once I look, I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not even reading this. It's gone. It's too long. It looks too intricate. I don't have that kind of time. You know, it has to be somebody. I will. I will unsubscribe. I give them a few. I give them a few, but if it looks like it's going to take me too much time to figure that out, especially if it's not really something I, that I find vitally important. Like there's certain groups that I'm like, you know, I want to see what they're about or a certain email list I signed up just to see what's going on. You know, some of them will catch me, but very rarely. Usually it's people like, you know, once I take it off email and I connect them on social media or if they're offering a class or webinar or something, once I've taken that, if I'm not pulling value from it, Hmm. I'm out. I don't have time. A lot of times we don't do it ourselves because we don't like the way it's being done to us. True. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Because we don't like social media because we don't like all these annoying people that are posting selfies five times a day. <laughs> so we don't right. want to do it. But we know we're never going to do that. We know we're never going to do it, but we don't wind up doing anything with it. Or the email that's always selling you stuff. But like I would, MJ, I would say to you, like what, what does Kent do about his emails that you like? And you mentioned it. And maybe you can model that to get you in the, because it doesn't, it will not hurt you to have an email list. It will not hurt you at all. You know, it's only going to help. If they unsubscribe, they unsubscribe. We're all, a lot of us are in the same boat. But to understand, like, what is the annoyance why you don't like, do you really not like writing? It's, Kent, it's the same thing. You're writing on a computer. Jennifer, right? You're writing. You're just putting into an email template. There's, there's not like email writing, right? There's writing. And you there's put writing is writing. Right? It's, it's funny because it, I perceive my, my own emails. I never give myself an A on anything that I do. Like, seriously. I, I would give most of my emails like a B minus in terms of quality. But I do, I, I do it pretty consistently. And even the stuff that I put out there that I'm like, this isn't really that good. Um, people sometimes respond to it. So you never know. We all, I, mean, I, I can tell you that how many times I've done a podcast and I go, that was a filler. That, that sucked. <laughs> and then people are like, man, you really hit me with that one. Like that, and I want to be like that one. Like, I, did you not hear the one two days ago? That was way better. No, they didn't respond about that one. They responded about this one that I didn't even like. And you hear that with musicians. They put mm-hmm. out a pop song and they yeah. hate it. You know, anybody's at 80s, if you talk about 80s music, Kent, you should start with Cherry Pie next week for this call, for the next time. <laughs> because, yeah. Well, because if you Warrant. heard the story, if you ever hear the story about that song, it's, it's 
apparently Janie Lane, who was the singer, was a very good songwriter. They needed a hit because the album was about to come out. They didn't have a hit. He wrote Cherry Pie in 15 minutes, became their biggest hit ever, and it ruined his career because he hated the song. It's what he was known. Imagine being known for the cheesiest, least <laughs> quality product you've ever put out and being known for that. That's what he was or it's known? like Slash with oh. the intro to Sweet Child of Mine. It's like, yeah, it was I've, a joke. I've heard that he just did that as like a joke. <laughs> joke, yeah. Or something. So he doesn't take it serious. Everybody loves it. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, it's a phenomenal song, but it's like, but that happens so often. Like their biggest, or like, I would be curious to see if Rick Astley, you know, how much he hates Never Gonna Give oh You God. Up. <laughs> imagine, imagine him walking into a restaurant and the things that they Later. say. <laughs> I hope that he was a songwriter on that because it's got like billions of views on YouTube. Oh my goodness. But it, but it's, but the stuff that we love isn't always what people right. try. Yeah. Sometimes the stuff that we don't think, but to go back to that point, Jim and MJ and Heidi's like, it's just a, it's a medium. It's, email is just something you put into a template and you send out a certain way. It's no different in terms of what you write. It, I think there's an association with that, that we probably need to understand personally why it hangs us up. It's just like a book chapter. I mean, a book chapter follows a template typically. Yeah. A nonfiction just, I, or, a, you know, a, a story, you know, Jim followed templates with his novel to some degree because every, every story must follow some type of structure. That's common. Can I agree, but I also want to give you some pushback because with an email, you have more pressure. You're writing for mobile and therefore mm-hmm. it's like, that's a big factor in the mix. If it's coming up on mobile versus desktop, I think that alone could be a factor in the unsubscribes and like how you format it and length and all of that. Um, yeah, it is that's definitely true. still a template, but I feel like the, the ante is so high. If they unsubscribe, that means they ain't buying anything else that you send until they subscribe again. Um, that's why when I write my emails, I always, um, I send send myself a test email first. Then I, of course I spell checking on that. But then I also read it on my phone and I make sure the paragraphs are extremely short. Sometimes they're just one sentence paragraphs so that it does look good on mobile. I don't know that I always succeed, but it is something I think is real. That's a great, great point about making sure it's readable on mobile. The one thing we all need to realize with, with email, including myself, and is there's the top of mind factor that comes with it that people don't think about very often. You have social media, you got 3,200 friends and you don't see most of them. Email is coming into your phone. Like uh, Don Miller, I haven't read an email of his in probably two years, maybe one or two, but I still see his name on my phone every week. Right. Even though I don't Mm -hmm. read it, I see Donald Miller and I'll kind of scroll. It's advertising. It's Mm advertising. Whereas if I didn't see his name for two years, I'd be like, oh, is he working at the car wash now? Did he make it? Right. I, I, I I have no idea what he's doing. But I know because I see his email without writing it that he's still in the game. Yep. And there's, there's a lot of value, value in that. There's a lot of value in that. Okay, we're coming down to our last few minutes here. Uh, does anybody have any any other questions that you want to throw out there in our last few minutes? So I have a question for Vincent around generosity. And yeah. so many times our goals, when they're selfish goals, we're chasing a number or we're chasing a metric or some type of status symbol. What does success look like in a generous goal? Hmm. Oh, that's a great question. It, it's, I, I think success in a generous goal means that everybody wins. I think everybody wins with, with the, it's, it's not, if I get you, if I bug you 
to buy my book and to, and to buy multiple copies of it. And I win that whole thing. And now you're sitting here and you I got a hundred copies of Vincent's book. And I don't know what the hell to do with this. And now I'm going to, I don't think you won in that. I don't think you won in that, but I think if there's a way that everybody wins in that you, them, and the person that it's going to be helping, I think if you could always view it that way, I, I think it's a very basic simple way to start with are, are they winning as well as i am with, with a generous goal and i think when you can take it that way you might not I mean not you but a lot of people might not do some of the things they did if if they had that in mind and i think if we had less of that we wouldn't be so down on email or on even sales because what happens is that the the, the bad ones make it bad for everybody those the, the bro marketers right the ones with whatever that you see all over the place it's like they, they make us not want to sell anything and then people come to me and they go, why didn't you? Literally, I was on a podcast last week. This woman, Carla, and she messaged me and she goes, I'd love to stay connected. Do you have a community or something like that? Because we might've mentioned it. I don't know, like very small in passing. And I said, I do. I said, it's a paid community. It's not a free Facebook group. And then I sent it to her. She said, send it over. And she said, Vince, why haven't you told me about this? And I said, because first of all, we vet who comes in. And I didn't know you that much. And I didn't want to just, hey, join my, I want to do that. But what happened was we had enough conversations and then we had a conversation, you know, in the podcast and then she learned more about it. And then she came to me, was interested. If she joins at some point, that's a win, win, win all around. The group will be better. I'll be better. She'll be better. But it wasn't like, Hey, join my group, pay me money. It wasn't that yeah. it was, Hey, I'm vetting to make sure that everybody in the group stays better, that she gets better. And then by her joining, it's not going to hurt me. Right. It's not going to hurt me for the community to get better, but it's not. But if I have to coerce everybody into doing it, or I need some last minute sales tactic to get you to buy before 11.59 so that you get something because you got FOMO and then you kind of feel like, why did I buy that? I'll never use it. A lot of us are in those situations where we bought stuff for that reason. And we, you're not going to be a raving fan that way. You're not going to advocate for them if that happened. Man, there's a lot of good stuff to think about here. This has opened up like a whole a whole new direction for us here. Do a call just on bro marketers because everybody loves when you just say the term bro. Oh, oh my gosh, yeah, bro, dude, dude, marketers. It's almost all frat boys, basically. It's the young group standing in front of a Ferrari in their garage kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and what I think that does is it's kind of it's kind of like the whole well when you have so many negative voices. The, the, the positive voices get quiet because they don't want to be in that mm-hmm. world. But all it leads to is more negative voices. Yeah. Because if you can be a positive voice, well, that's going to make the negative voices just a little bit quieter because the positive is a little more, a little louder. So I think that's something to really come away with. Like, are you not, are you, are you not sending a quality, valuable email because too many people are sending crap emails? Well, maybe you can bring faith back to it by, you know, where people actually enjoy it again because there's really quality stuff coming out. That's the way I try to view it. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I, I love this. So obviously we need to explore email marketing more in some of these calls because this this is a pain point for a lot of us. And it's something that that is always changing and that all of us can do better, even if we've been doing it for a while now. So for sure, lots of really good stuff here. Vincent, thank you for doing this call. This has been really, really fun. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks everybody for showing up. Somebody needs to write a book called The Generous Writer and apply all this stuff specifically to writers and artists. So if anybody wants to write that book, I will buy a copy whenever you put it out there. Jennifer will have it done by next Thursday. Yeah, that's true. Next Thursday, Jennifer will have it done by the end of the day, probably. By 2 p.m. my time, 
she'll have it right. finished. Well, thanks everybody. This has been a blast. We will head into our writing sprint here in a second. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that community call. I took away a ton of insights and learned a lot from Benson and his approach to book marketing with a generous mindset. And really that's the main takeaway that I, that I want to share here is simply to be generous. This totally goes against the norm when it comes to marketing what we do. Most of the time, whenever you see people do book launches, it's all about support what I'm doing, go buy my book on Kindle, uh, leave me a review, ASAP, do all these things for me so my book can become a success. That is what typically we're kind of taught to do with book marketing. But I want you to think the opposite way. I want you to think in terms of first, how can you help other people? How can you be generous? How can you be more thoughtful and not just make it about yourself and your book success? And yes, people may support you. I hope people support you in your book launch. I hope that you support me whenever I launch my next book very soon. But the bottom line is, what can we do to serve other people? What can we do to be more generous? People might go along with what you ask of them, but they're not going to be that excited about it if they feel like you're just constantly asking for things. The main thing here is we want to be generous and we want to be so generous and giving and thoughtful that people want to support us and our book launch. So that's my takeaway for today. I hope that that impacts you as much as it, as it has impacted me. This is how I've built my ghostwriting business through this uh, generosity sort of approach. And I can tell you that it, it it's worked for me for sure. And it also works for every type of other business. So make sure to check out uh, that episode that I mentioned, becoming a non-bestselling author of the Total Life Freedom podcast. And grab Vincent's book while you're at it as well. It's called Freelance to Freedom, and there will be links to that as well as all these other things in the show notes. Thanks so much to Vincent for taking the time out to lead this amazing community call for the Daily Writer. It has been a ton of fun, and I hope that you found value with this. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you've been listening to this show for any length of time, you know that one of the four practices of a great writer is creativity. And in order to stay creative, you've got to have great input. And that's where writing prompts come in. A writing prompt is a sentence or two that helps you break through creative blocks, brainstorm new ideas, and get back into a state of flow. Writing prompts are an awesome creative tool for journaling, storytelling, creative writing, stress relief, social media posts, and so much more. But the great news is that you don't have to create these yourself. We've put together an amazing package of 365 daily writing prompts. So every day for the next year, you can have a shot of inspiration delivered straight to your inbox. You can check it out at dailywriterlife.com slash writing prompts. Thanks, and I'll see you tomorrow.